Okay, I believe we're starting with uh, Aaron. I believe we are starting with A.A. Ron. A.A. Ron. A.A. Ron. Ow. Ron. The master was the master. The master. <laughs> All right, guys, hold on to your pants. Uh, I know. Just do what I'm going to do. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Give it. Give guys, it get, do what I'm going to do. Come on. I had to do it. I had to do it. It's Come on. Uh, it's a, it's a 9.7. There, oh! there you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. I am ready. Oh, boy. Paul? Oh, okay, good. I thought you were going to go crazy. Oh, on my you. God. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have a new uh, first place film. No pressure. Well, Yoshi, I'm, no glad pressure. That, I'm glad that you set it up because we are indeed going to have that because I gave it a 9.7 as oh! well. Nice. Oh. Nice. Jeez. Wow. Yes. So yeah. I was modest. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like Cries and Whispers is uh, officially second place. That is a 9.5. A 9.5. That is a 9.5. Cry, Cries is at a 9.3, right? Yes. So that is the okay. new champ. Wow. So we have not only the champion of the month going to the master, but the all-time leader of Dead Cinema Society is... Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. The Master's The Master. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if Paul's actually yelling. <laughs> it is. Master oh, is man. the master. Oh, yeah, so man. that's my highest. Uh, Chris and Same. I is both highest ranked film so far, and... I want to say it's Paul's second highest, third highest. Yeah, that, it was funny. I didn't know. I'm sure at some point we'll see a 10, but I said, all right, I've gotten as far as 9.5. Do you want to go over? I said, this is a 9.5 movie for me. So that's that's where I stopped. So it's tied I, for the highest for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This is- yeah, it's so weird when you get like kind of above a 9.5. <laughs> Yeah. Is it a perfect movie? Perfect you know movie I, mean? and I don't know. Yeah. It's perfect enough for me to want to dig up Philip Seymour Hoffman and kiss his rotting bones. Oh, uh, that's why. Like, so, so I have Joaquin and true. Philip on my Mount Rushmore of actors. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have PTA on my Mount Rushmore of directors. This was like a confluence of some of my favorite people to ever be a part of Hollywood and making movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this. I guess this is my favorite movie of all time. I mean. This is my third time seeing it, by the way. So I, I was very familiar with it already. Watched it for the third time yesterday and was able to unlock even more doors as to what this movie's about. So I want to do something different that we've never done before because, and I'm happy we all liked it because now this makes sense to do this. Let's walk through the movie. We okay. can try to do it together. We don't have to get every single scene, but let's try to hit the major points and that'll be our sort of foundation as to unpack what we think this movie's about and the ideas behind it. So we open with one of, I think, the most beautiful opening shots ever where we just see like almost like a turtle shell. And then, of course, he lifts his head and it's, it's a helmet and it's Joaquin Phoenix um, and the war, the war is sort of ending. Um, any historical context for us, Chris? Uh, he was a mechanic on, it looked like the battleship. Uh, and that part of the war, he would have been in the South Pacific. Uh, that specific helmet was actually, the uh, reason it was white is because that Japanese soldiers uh, towards the end of the war, if you were on like Firewatch, essentially like looking over the horizon, they would try to shoot you just, just to kill anybody. It wasn't about taking the ship. It was just killing. 
So the white kind of was against the back of it. So him going over there is exposing himself. And it's probably, you know, he's in the middle of a war and probably why he started drinking, because he probably saw a lot of his buddies die. Yeah, so we don't see any actual combat or anything like that. As far as his participation in the war goes, it's left relatively a mystery. But we are sort of seeing how lonely these men are. Um, one of the very first scenes we see is that the men get together. Uh, well, first of all, that wrestling circle they do is really cool. We kind of see these like Mr. Olympian kind of bodies. And we're seeing all these muscles and that's is really cool shots. And then we see the mermaid that they create in the sand. Of course, Joaquin Phoenix, let's just call him Freddy, um, makes it a point to insert himself into the circle. And what starts off as a kind of like funny little joke of him pretending to fuck the mermaid quickly becomes pretty sad, as we see in the fellow uh, soldiers' faces when he sort of starts to love the mermaid and twist its her her tits and finger her relentlessly, and yeah. then it kind of becomes disturbing. Um, clearly, this man's a bit twisted. And then the next shot we see is Walking Phoenix. I almost want to boldly claim that he was really doing it. But he's uh, standing in the in the sea, furiously masturbating, um, and uh, sort of even being distracted by the crashing waves. Looking to his right, looking to his left at the water crashing. So clearly, we see a man who's been disturbed and who has very much um, lustful demons. Um, what happens next? Uh, I think he it's the, he wakes up uh, looking well. He's he he's passed out above the like it's not a crow's nest, but it's basically an overlook point. Oh, what a on, shot on huh? the yeah, deck yeah. of the ship! Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so I think it, it was uh, between VE and VJ Day, victory in Europe, victory in Japan. Uh, there was like a month, three months, but so they knew that it was pretty much done. It was they were waiting on the surrender of Japan. And it was a party going back to port. And so you see, we see this party and they're literally, they run out of booze on the ship. So he starts to go down and dismantle torpedoes, torpedoes. for the starter alcohol, which is yes. like 99% alcohol. And they drink it right out of the bottom of the torpedo. Oh, that was, that was so, gross. So I would like to pose an idea here in this scene that I think we can, we're going to revisit throughout this um, exploration of the film and, and this is that I believe that Freddy is an alchemist I also believe that Dobbs is an alchemist and we'll get into that a little bit later but I believe that Freddy is the shadow alchemist to Lancaster Dobbs spiritual alchemist and so we see Freddy who is literally a creator of spirits but of the the low level kind of spirits where he's concocting alcoholic cocktails from torpedoes death torpedoes mm -hmm. and he's making them so powerful that they could potentially kill you if you don't drink them right which is what we see next he's in the bunkers of this ship um or where are they when that happens it's in the somewhere lower deck um because he has to go down into like a rigging station almost because there's no there's no safe way to walk on that kind of shit. This is pre-ocean. Like, come on. So, so he's, he's like, still on the ship when this man drinks his, his cocktail, correct? Uh, are you talking about the farm? Okay, so I guess I jumped forward to the yeah. point where he may or may not have killed a man. 
incidentally? Yeah, well, first is the uh, the department store. Right. Okay, so walk me through that. So the department store, he becomes uh, his only marketable skill after he's dis discharged and very obviously has PTSD. They're like, you can get whatever kind of jobs you want. Just don't mention that you see things and you scream at night because that's how they treated PTSD at that time. Okay, so 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 let's go to the Rorschach test. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So 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 they're they're sort of they know that some of these soldiers are going to have PTSD and like Chris was alluding to they're kind of being briefed that hey you guys might be a little bit different out there in, in the normal world so let's so they they put them through these Rorschach tests to see what they see um, and uh, incidentally every single image that's held up to Freddy is either a vagina a cock or a cock going into a vagina mm -hmm. <laughs> that's every single image he sees. Uh, and they only do three tests, and then they're like, okay, this guy's fucked. So you're saying that the department store where it's revealed that he becomes a photographer is before it he is. kills the man? Yeah. Yes, because he tries to run away with the model, and then she leaves him, and then he starts working out as a cabbage picker. Huh. I could have sworn Doesn't he that try to kill that guy, too? Yeah, well, it, we cut to an image of him chopping the cabbage, yep. and then they all gather around. Uh, there's some... We're exchanging alcohol, and then he taps the old man on the shoulder. We don't know, as it's later revealed, that that old man might have stolen alcohol from him. Just, he's just okay. being a friendly sort. So, at any rate, uh, Freddie might want a family. Maybe that's kind of what we're talking about here when when we see him. So, so we're t let's go into the department store. He becomes a photographer for families. Um, and so maybe this is Anderson kind of you know, starting to venture into the idea that Freddie, uh, new job as a photographer of shooting pictures of these happy housewives and these happy children and these happy husbands, he longs to be a part of this world. But, and not unlike a filmmaker like PTA, maybe, uh, he can only photograph this world. He can't actually be a part of it. Um, and am I right in going into the next scene being um, the fight scene with the the fatter gentleman who kind of looks like Lancaster Dobbs, maybe mm -hmm. some foreshadowing there. So he puts the light kind of right up against his face, and <laughs> it's hot. And we get and 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 I don't know about you guys, but have you guys ever seen more realistic fight scenes than in this movie? I mean, oh, like great. they fought, mm -hmm. like yeah. Joaquin Phoenix and gave him a real slap. Time. Yeah. Real slaps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Aaron, what do you think? How do you think they choreographed those fights? Do you think that it was just completely like, hey, I'm Joaquin Phoenix. I'm going to go up to this actor and be like, hey, man, just fucking go for it. And then they yeah. just. I think so. Yeah. I think it's a 100%. It's like, hey, I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. I'm not going to really hurt you, but let's do it. Not hurt a little bit. I could, yeah. I could tell. A little well, bit. Well, they're even in the. I mean, I don't want to jump too ahead, but I was watching that jail scene and I was like, man, Joaquin probably hurt himself during that. Oh my yep. God. And, you know, yeah. hitting his back against the, the bunk bed and the kicking. And I don't know if they use like a glass uh, or like a sugar glass for that porcelain nope. toilet. So fun fact, was we're, we're jumping ahead. That was <laughs> in a, it was a historically accurate prison that Joaquin Phoenix had to pay a lot of money for because he destroyed that toilet. That toilet was real porcelain. Oh my God! So, like, do you yeah, guys think crazy. that going into he hurt himself? Do you, Sorry, do you Aaron? Down. Do you think going into that scene that let's just play guess for for fun? Going into the shooting that scene, 
what kind of conversations are being had between PTA and Joaquin and Philip? Or are there no conversations and Joaquin's just like completely going forward in the moment? Philip had no idea he was going to do that. PTA had no idea he was going to do that. What do you what do you think uh, was yeah. the conversation? So I was thinking of like the camera work, you know, they they kept a pretty wide shot on this, which made me immediately go to the director, cinematographer. They had no idea what was about to take place. Mm -hmm. We got our wide shot and that was it. You know what I mean? Like it happened once. Yeah. So that's very interesting. That was a one take. A of, yeah, if you had a lot of turnarounds and like, hey, I'm gonna punch from here, let's get the angled here. You're right. Da -da -da, let's make it. It wasn't that. It was like, let's get a wide. Let's see what Joaquin does. Joaquin flipped, did his thing. Hey, trust me. And we got the shot cut. Let's move on. Hey, you just had a scene, you know, one of the greats of all time. You know, this is my third time watching the film, like I said. So I was actually kind of watching Philip in that scene. Um, yes. Because I. I Thank you. And, for, keep going. And, keep going. And I was trying. I was trying to maybe see through Philip how unexpected all of that behavior was from Joaquin. And there were certainly a couple moments where Philip Seymour Hoffman was just sort of like mesmerized mm -hmm. and like sort of like concerned uh, as to what he was seeing. Um, so we don't want to jump too far ahead, but there's a lot to unpack in that scene alone, and we'll get to that eventually. So, so we're back to the fight scene between Joaquin and this gentleman who may or may not intentionally have been casted to look like uh, Lancaster Dobb. Um, and there's that super realistic fight scene where Joaquin's just sort of pushing him, egging him on, and then eventually the man kind of explodes. Ah, man, seeing a fight scene like that makes me think, like, that's how all fight scenes should be. Like, no interjections and cuts and, like, you know, trying to sell. Like, just have a real fight where no punches are thrown like just slapping and choking and pushing and breaking shit i have so much respect for 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 one take fight scenes like that um so 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 help me out anyone where are we next so now we're going to the farm oh the farm so how do we get to the farm what is the farm so the farm is his next attempt at getting a, a job is he he loses his job at the department store he loses the girl that he was with because he drags her out of the store as as the fight is over, um, so the the shot comes and he's deheading the cabbage, and then it's the kind of migrant worker you know drink thing, and he slap taps the guy on the shoulder, and then the next scene is the old man dead on the ground after drinking you know Freddy's moonshine or whatever, and then we get that fantastic shot of him ch them chasing him across the field. Ah, one uh, of the greatest shots of all I, time. Yeah. I think it's the best shot of the film, and yeah. I agree. I think it might be the greatest shot of all time. It's unbelievable third time watching it and i still felt the same things i felt the very first time the whole sequence i'm gonna pose this and i have an ongoing theory of what this film's about and so i'm gonna slowly kind of reveal it to you guys and see what you guys think but i think again that walk that freddie quill is somehow the re-emerging shadow of lancaster dobbs and this scene for me is if we're going to play in that world where he's the shadow, this is the moment where the shadow bursts free from the place that it's been pushed down into because they're in this sort of subversive, uh, you know, underground setting. And, and so just to paint the picture for the audience, Freddie, uh, you know, is trying to explain to everybody that, you know, it's not his fault that the guy drank it incorrectly. That like, he didn't try to kill him. The guy just overdid it and he killed himself. 
and of course the tension's building and nobody kind of believes him and then and then he he's sort of fighting everybody one at a time and then there's that moment where he's like come on calm down and then he just bursts and he goes down the hallway and they're all chasing him and just the way that he chose to express how freddy bursts through that door into the desert or, or i guess it's uh the farm fields mm-hmm. um it just feels like an energy like almost like steam that's been let loose from some underground place and he's running and 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 Aaron, tell us about about that that shot of him running through and 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 the expression that Joaquin is going through. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's incredible. I I was really trying to wrap my head. I'd love to see some behind the scenes because I know you guys are more familiar with how this movie was shot, maybe or what. But you know, you get this side um, Pan. movement. Yeah, Pan. I don't know tracking if they dolly were shot. Yeah, tracking mm-hmm. dolly. But yeah. I mean, how long was that track? like over 100 feet yeah i mean (laughs) and we were going fast i was like how fast is that camera moving and it is slick i mean it is stable it's smooth um i mean it's just beautiful you can hang grunts the grunts from joaquin like you know he was really running for like 10 minutes there he's like he's gonna break his ankle i thought he was gonna break his ankle i mean it's farmland yeah like divots like and he's in a full sprint and if you you know any all of you guys know what it's like to go into a full sprint i mean you're pretty much gonna you know rip your hammy just like trying to go 100 i mean it was just so and, intense. and the evoking of that feeling of actually running for your life was mm-hmm. presented so perfectly where it's like you're already exceeded your energy capacity and you still have to run it full sprint and and that was like that's what the, the grunting comes in and it's like, man, I, I really feel it. I really feel it. So what comes next, Paul? Uh, then we uh, seamlessly move to a blur and then we fade in on him walking in the night and he sees a ship. And, and, and what a fantastic tracking shot we have again here. That's yeah. kind of the pan focus between the cold rigid freddy and the warm dancing mm-hmm. lancaster and his group of people but it's almost like it's almost like the camera is trying to get freddy and lancaster and the people in the same shot yeah but it, but it can't like freddy's just incapable of if freddy's perfectly moving out of sync with with <laughs> with the what's happening in the background and then, of course, he he sneaks onto the ship, mm-hmm. um, and 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 proceeds to fall asleep. And then yeah. the next morning, Freddie's woken up and brought to see Lancaster, and mm-hmm. we get the clip that uh, we opened the conversation with that Chris showed us, which is again one of the better scenes in the whole film. Someone walk us through what happens there. I mean, I'll take. Well, you okay. think he's uh, making alcohol. So if you, I don't want to jump, we got a little alcohol. Then of course he wants more of that magic potion, and then you can tell there's uh, they Lancaster definitely has a glint in his eye, and there's an admiration for this Freddy, and he is going to factor importantly into what uh, the cause is all about. And so, do we think that in this moment, if we're going to take the film literally for a moment, that Lancaster has what what goes through his head first i've found my alchemist or i've found my um my uh, a source for 
for for me to let my shadow play a little bit more because basically he wants Freddie to stick around because he discovers this potion of his and he wants more of it or is it that he sees the potential for a guinea pig to to show his people through this guinea pig what the process looks like to to take somebody who's who's totally consumed by demons and to remove those demons i think it's what the comes first the yeah. latter yeah it's definitely more the latter i mean the first part of course is uh what I love about his Lancasters, if it's an addiction or uh, penchant for alcohol, is it's just reinforcing that I'm a somewhat broken man. Uh, could be, uh, you know, because I love how the fact you use the, uh, you know, spiritual alchemist. This might be that dispirited part of him that he has to reconcile. I, I love his frailty. Um, but of course, uh, as Chris echoed, this is that moment where he realized I have a guinea pig. Because it really isn't until Laura Dern's character is introduced. Let's see, we've got some skeptics when we get back to sort of high society. But to actually have someone sort of fall in my lap, because I think for me, when I get back to a reality, if you've seen the old video, it's definitely worthwhile to see some of the Lafayette, Ronald Hubbard videos. And um, because I think that's what Hoffman so beautifully captured, because now he realizes, wow, not only do I have um, a partner in crime here, um, but I've got somebody that I can work with, and this will really bring the cause to life. Do we, Chris, are we getting a taste of, of what's to come here? And, and maybe, because we probably all have somewhat different interpretations of, of this film, but are we getting a taste here that Lancaster Dobb is perhaps somebody who though his message might inherently be founded in first principles and, and actual uh, like good methods for helping people to get rid of their demons or at least get control over the demons, are we starting to get a taste that this man, though he's preaching this belief system, it's maybe gotten away from a little bit and maybe he is sort of on the verge of becoming more of like a tyrannical father or somebody who doesn't really even practices the things that he's preaching yes and i think i think you hit the nail on the head because uh we have that sequence from amy adams and amy adams's character uh dobbs's wife is introduced uh the reason we're even on this boat is for his son's wedding his son who is also a member of the cause who is marrying a member of the cause by the way jesse plemons returns from last show jesse plemons or no it's his daughter excuse me his daughter is daughter daughter daughter. okay, okay because okay. it's uh mr robot is the the mm -hmm. guy who's uh, <laughs> I don't know his actual name is Mr. Robot. Yeah, I, I hope. No, I hope that people only call him that from now on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fake Freddie Mercury. Uh, <laughs> but no, so he's he's getting married, and so uh, Amy Adams has that kind of that aside with Freddie. It's like, oh, he comes out here on the water to be free. He, you know, he's he's so cooped up and distracted on land that we come out here to be free. I think that this is to use an alchemical term, the catalyst. Freddie is the catalyst to bringing the cause to the forefront of re legitimacy and and for the forefront of like what it actually wants to be. Because we have, the second book isn't out yet. The uh, Freddie becomes kind of the, the template for the globalization of the cause. And it's on this trip through his conversations and his alchemical discussions and the questions that he asks Freddie 
that these are done. It changes. And we get this from Laura Dern's character later on in the movie. It's like, you've, you've changed the questions. And he, he says, no, yeah, I, this, these are the questions. That is what it is. I think Freddy is the, is the, the, you know, the reagent that you throw in and it really starts to bubble over. And it just so happens that it's on the water. And I want to bring this up quickly before we go to the next scene. How perfect Paul Thomas Anderson's transitions between act breaks are. Because we have a consistent shot of the rear view of the rear of a ship, which the, the stern, there we go, the stern of a ship and the wake. And every time there is an act break, there is a ship in wake. And it keeps getting smaller because the story is starting to slow down and we are going to be out in the sea. Yeah, there, he really does do a great job of using symbols as transitions. Mm -hmm. And he uses mu lyrics of music yep. very yep. poetically as well. Like everything all the way to the to going a little bit further into the film where Freddie uh, is at the movie theater watching a Casper movie, uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Mm -hmm. If you pay attention to the words of the Casper film, even those words are pertaining to his current dilemma. So basically every single situation Freddie's in, the external world is trying to help him, mm -hmm. and yet he is unable to listen to the world around him to get the messages. And we get that even more, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep it back. Sorry, I'll, I'll wait. I'm very excited to talk about this scene. Well, go ahead. Uh, is it close? It is close. So we arrive at the – because we go through the Panama Canal. We arrive, I think, in New York uh, for the where the cause is having its annual or the, the some meeting in New York. We meet a skeptic. We, we see that Freddy is already attached to Dobbs and he actually goes with the new son and beats up this guy. Uh, but then we get this scene where Dobbs gets drunk at a, at a function where the cause is at and he starts singing this song. And he says, roving, oh, a roving, a ro and, it, and it plays perfectly because no longer will Freddy go roving. No longer does he have to keep going from job to job. But what does he do? He starts and to disassociate. <laughs> he starts to disassociate and he's like, oh, all these women look hot. And in in the movie, they are disrobed and they are naked before him. And he ignores the song of what he's trying to get. Oh. And you see that yeah, another example of that is when Dobbs is giving the speech about uh, the dragon mm -hmm. and wrestling. You got to mm -hmm. wrestle the dragon. He's and the dragon. And put a leash on it, and now yep. there's a leash on it, and so you see all there's all these examples of being ruled by emotion, um, and then in the very same moment when the lesson of being ruled by emotions is going on, we get an example of Freddie being ruled by emotions, and it's 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 over and over and over again throughout the whole film. Um, yeah, yes, I, I, again, I, I really do think that. Did anyone else get the idea that Freddy and, and Dobbs were potentially the same person? No. 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 See, part of me feels like it's – one of the things about this film that's so great is that it feels like there's a bunch of loose ideas where you could interpret this film a million different ways. It didn't seem like PTA committed to any one thing, which is why I don't really think this film has anything to do with Scientology. That's a very loose framework um, that he used. Uh, and ultimately, I would believe I believe it would be short-sighted to focus on that because there's so much more going on here. Um, and again, I, I brought up how I think both these men are sort of, both these men are sort of alchemists. And again, the reason why I think they might be the same person, or at least metaphorically speaking, is the only person who seems to be able to drink the concoctions of Freddy 
is Lancaster Dodd. Mm-hmm. So they can are they're the only two people who can drink these spirits. Um, and so that that's interesting. Um, okay, so so where are we at here? Well, why is he drinking uh, paint thinner? Is he playing with death? Is he like? Is there something he gets off about like coming that close to being poisoned? Like just enough to intoxicate you, maybe hallucinate. It looks like they're hallucinating together too. You know, you know, like what is the paint thinner doing? They have that scene, you know, where they're smoking cigarettes and they're starting to get lost in this feeling of whatever this alcohol concoction is doing to them. And I'm just curious, you know, is it that play with because the guy um, uh, Seymour doesn't know like that it is paint thinner or that it is something that can kill you. But he does ask him, is this poison? Yeah, he's like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, it, 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 uh, yeah, it is interesting because Philip uh, Lancaster continues to promote um, these dragons and these demons that we must tame and, and conquer. And yet in all the scenes when he's alone with Freddy, he's, you know, he's getting hammered with them. He's smoking with them. Like he, he's clearly an alcoholic just like Freddy is. And yet he, somehow he puts himself on a pedestal above Freddy, which is why I sort of have this theory that Freddy is this reemergence of the shadow trying to resurface itself like something that maybe Lancaster once conquered, which allowed him to become this leader of this cult and, and promote this, uh, this book and all these beliefs and these, these process systems he's developed. And which also maybe explains why Amy Adams can sort of start to sense that the shadow's coming out to play, which is that scene where she jacks him off in the, in the, in the sink and she's like basically like i don't know what this is that's coming over you but it needs to end i don't care what you do as long as nobody hears about it as long as i don't hear about it eh, come for me come for me that scene is so good so i have a i have a thought which leads into what what this movie is about for me okay it's about dominance it's about asserting yourself over another person and dobbs is doing that for a bunch of people and that's he's very good at it and he's teaching people to do that to other people and surrounding himself with people who will do anything for him kill for him steal for him but he has a master and that's amy adams Adams. Mm -hmm. and so when he says oh when 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 she looks and, and sees dobbs being a master to someone else i don't like that no you're you're my bitch i'm gonna show you that and so she takes him by his manhood and she is in control of who reminds he is. him who his master is exactly. Yeah. But but Philip Seymour Hoffman Lancaster, his whole thing is that we need a master. We do yes. We need, we need a master in order to navigate through this life. Otherwise, you're just a Freddie Quill yeah. who is just a roving, a roving, and changing partners and just rebounding from one surrogate partner to the next and never actually being satisfied. He's an aimless animal as as lancaster would put it you need some sort of a master and for and for and for lancaster it's these first principles it's these it's the essentially the way i see it i think that and this is where the scientology comes in and maybe paul can enlighten us on how similar this version how how similar this uh cult is to the scientology cult but essentially the idea the inherent idea is kind of good it's like First principles. It's like group work as to, you know, putting leashes on our on our temptations. Um, 
but uh, maybe uh, I'm losing my train of thought. But maybe uh, so I'm again comparing it to Scientology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we talk about well. Let's just talk about the parallels because I'm not aware of why this parallels with Scientology. So if somebody could just do that. Okay, sorry. I just sure. want to tr- finish my train of thought. So the idea is almost like uh, Lancaster Dodd is like trying is like it's almost like a it's like someone trying to be Christ in this life. Yes. By mm-hmm. by by doing the first principles and by having all their temptations and sins on a leash, and now he's helping people. So it's like a sec it's a it's like a second coming of Christ, but of course. He's not Christ, and he's a man. So, so okay. So now let's explore the com- the comparisons. Yeah, and there's a lot of them. Uh, I mean, first of all, you know, we. So, for the benefit of our viewers, I'm somebody who's deeply fascinated with Scientology and uh, read Dianetics, and I've uh, met with what are called free zone Scientologists. So those are people who don't go to the church, who love the principles that uh, L. Ron Hubbard has laid out and they just decide to practice them away from the church and you can go get audited by these people or almost be like if you were going to see a therapist. Um, but there are a lot of parallels. The um, uh, L. Ron Lafayette, Ron Hubbard, uh, you know, that Lancaster Dodd, that sort of um, these old tiny names, there's a direct uh, parallel there. Uh, the fascination with the sea and the water was a big thing, and, and they had a, their own navy in Scientology. Uh, the fact that they reached a point where it was unclear whether America was fully going to embrace what Scientology was all about. They had offices in England, of course, which are referenced uh, in the movie. So there are those parallels, and obviously, instead of using auditing, we're using processing. Um, instead of Dianetics, we have the cause. Um, there is one other title might be a little closer to, to the cause, but I think most, most people, when you say Scientology, they, they, uh, they connect it with diet, you know, with Dianetics. Um, but yeah, I mean, L. Ron Hubbard was a pulp fiction writer, um, sort of a raconteur. Um, I think we've talked about this once before. I feel like it's on one of our, um, one of our shows where, you know, they're right here in Hollywood, there was uh, uh, the Scientology Theater would bring to life his uh, short stories, his plays. Um, so there's a lot of parallel. The, the, the physical resemblance between Philip Seymour Hoffman and L. Ron Hubbard is amazing, uh, despite the mustache. But, you know, that's just the touch that Philip Seymour Hoffman brings to the role. Um, yeah, so there's certainly a lot there. Uh, but you make a great point, Yoshi, like that isn't what the movie's about, but it just sort it just sort of it's a nice foundation, though. Yeah, exactly. It just sort of hangs there, and I think you, and I, I guess I circle back to the 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 spirit, you know, because it, you could theorize. This is my I guess my umpteenth time watching this, and you know, this alcohol is never perfectly calibrated. You know, you know, at no point does Freddie have a lab coat on and a beaker, and uh, is he measuring all this out? He just sort of has it figured out that. We're taking you just close enough to a death point. We're never going to quite get there. Or maybe over time, I am slowly killing you. Uh, so there were just what I took from that was like, oh, amazingly that we can you know, get something from here and something from here. Um, and we can create a concoction that uh, can certainly be uh, you know, a lively spirit. 
Are these actors and the director, are they involved in Scientology? Is this like... There's a conspiracy theory because Philip Seymour Hoffman died of an overdose that he was killed by the ah, of Scientology. Okay. It's interesting because it almost feels like That's a... That's true. Uh, I'm not making that up. Yeah, but what is that founded in? I mean, you could say that about anybody who's dead. Because he played a fictional version of L. Ron Hubbard and they treat that with like the same fervor that Muslims do with the pic depiction of Muhammad. But it was like seven years after the fact. They like take their time. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is I don't think that they. Uh, and maybe you guys saw it differently, but I didn't see that they portrayed Scientology in really in a negative light whatsoever. In fact, I find the the meaning behind the processing inherently good. Yes, I don't, I don't see anything yeah. wrong with what the message is. The only thing that is quote-unquote wrong is that you can't be the leader of a cult you will eventually be the end of yourself and that's the exploration with Steve Lancaster he was the leader of a cult and he turned himself into a demigod but the message itself like what do you guys think that whole scene is about or many scenes fucking half the movie of Joaquin going back and forth between the wall and the window the wall and the window I mean what is and, and so let's let's say the, the moment when Philip Seymour Hoffman lets the trial end is right after Joaquin is touching the window and he explains that through this window is infinite possibilities. It's like a, sort of like a grass is greener on the other side kind of monologue he goes through. But he, he talks about all these possibilities through this yeah. window. It's a, life, what, it's a life cycle, right? Like the wall could be your birth. The window could be death and what's beyond death. You know, like just him walking back is living a full life. And he's trying to say, what do you discover? You can't see anything past this wall, but you can see things past this window. What is into the next life? And he's trying to say, look beyond the glass. But he couldn't see that for X amount of tries. You know? And one of the things that he says is, if I go through that window, I could be anything. I could do anything. And then he comes back to the wall and he's like, it's a fucking wall. <laughs> And, I, and I'm, I'm reminded of a line from Diary of a Country Priest, the one I opened the conversation with, which is, in this sorry world, the night outdoes the work of the day. And so I think that this whole scene of the wall in the window is Lancaster Dodd trying to teach Freddy that he's his own worst enemy and that he's the one who keeps turning back to the wall when really all he has to do is let go and walk through the window. It's that easy. But we are our own worst enemy. We're, we're all the work we do. We fuck it up with turning back and going against the wall. So, yeah, I mean, it is an actual training routine. I mean, you can mm -hmm. you can look it up. It's uh, oh, on the, yeah, it's uh, they have lower training routines and upper upper training routines, and I think it's training routine like six or seven or something like that, where they will you know the coach will tell the student or the student tells the coach to walk over to the wall. So I mean, so, so those are direct lifts from the Scientology training routines. Oh, to, wow. You know, just to, to, you know, so there is a literal connection, but I, I do love uh, what, you know, how Yoshi interpreted, like, yeah, like, um, because at some point, I think that's when he goes back to find, uh, you know, Doris is there and has that conversation. It's a different, there's a different Freddy there is realizing I have, I have gone outside that window if I'm, if I'm on the right timeline there. 
So uh, this is a perfect example of, of auditing and processing. So the the idea is not to, you, you, there is no correct answer to the questions they're asking. You could say whatever you want. They're looking for how you answer the questions. So the Engaging. Reason, exactly. So the process of auditing is not that Scientology believes in this and I don't want to die, so please don't kill me. Uh, but the, they, they, they take, they take psychotherapy, essentially. They do repetition. They want to break you down, essentially, to get to the core essence of who you are, a core memory, as they call it. And then you take that core memory. And that is a sort of stress. And the, I don't know who's anybody seen Going Clear by Leah Remini. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a form of social manipulation. When, when you get someone to admit something or you get someone to have a breakthrough or an acceptance, that is when they are the most pliable. So like we, sleeping with your aunt? Yes, like sleeping with your aunt. Or in the example they actually use on the Scientology website of an audit – is when if you're molested or you have some sort of relationship or something that doesn't go well. But like when you're in that moment is when they actually teach you something. The, the auditing process is just trying to break you down. Yeah, and it's interesting that there's all these techniques that are very similar to like sort of uh, acting techniques. Yeah. Like Aaron, did, was there points in this film where he – you were sort of reminded of some acting techniques from Sal's class. I mean, there's a bunch, of, and there's, of course, a bunch of actors who are a part of Scientology. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that's why, because they have sim similar techniques. But there's many examples throughout this film. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking of that, you know, like the, uh, the don't blink and the sitting across from somebody. Yep. Yep. Repetition. I mean, if you've ever studied uh, Meisner techniques, mm -hmm. it's all about repeating. Saying, mm -hmm. I am uncomfortable. Now you say, I am uncomfortable. I feel weird. I feel weird. I I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And I then you, you start to hear the reflection of yourself and you realize like a different perspective almost. You're like immediately shot into the present moment. You're like, whoa, I'm like, I'm depicting my reality at this moment. This is all happening. You know, my uncomfort or anxiety is within myself, and now somebody's just reflecting it back at me. So you can you can draw that with this movie. They really intertwine that. It was, I, yeah, it was special. It's cool. So um, they come and arrest Lancaster, mm -hmm. and let's get to that scene we all love. And Freddie, who let me ask you this, this question. Do you guys believe that at any point Freddie actually believed in this stuff or that he was just latching on to someone who claimed to care about him and so he was willing to defend him at any cost? I believed he, 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 he believed in it 100%. He believed it 100%. I believe he believed it 100%. I think he found a friend. Like yeah, he found, I, 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 I found like a godfather in a way, you know, like somebody that like, wanted to fix him and like love him the only way he knows how to be loved and we see that in the prison scene where they're locked up in the cell and again for my theory this is another example of that where they're it's like almost like they're in a brain they're in like one co one unit there divided by you know the bars but they're they're just there together and joaquin has this freak out moment and then they get into their screaming match which ends with Lancaster saying, I'm the only person who likes you. 
he keeps saying, I'm the only person who likes you. And that's kind of what makes Freddie quell up <laughs> in the bed and, and, uh, and realize that that's probably true. Um, and so Freddie returns to the cult and they have their little fun wrestling match in the yard, which was really funny. Um, yeah, I guess I, I kind of, I'm kind of with Aaron where I, I kind of think that Quell sees through Dodd and he understands that Dodd's power and motive is vulgarly erotic, much like Freddie's own lustful ways. And um, that Dodd is also led by sexual energy and is just handling it differently by diverting it into this like high exertion service sort of like a boxer who you know refuses to have sex before he fights i still think that that inherently the, both these men are being driven by sexual energy one of them is just sort of untethered and the other one has turned it into this like power hungry thirst to be like a messiah of sorts um, but Paul, do you believe that Freddie uh, believes in in Lancaster, or do you think he's just there because he's a friend? Yeah, I think you're. Um, you know, I guess I go back to the, um, uh, I guess the uh, whatever you want to call it, the recruitment integration. We see all those just horrifically sad faces of. Uh, just the horrors of war on men's faces as they're told how to sort of um, integrate with society. And he probably heard like, uh, do your very best, um, keep everything down, do your very best. And I think it just fast forwards for me to the moment where he's like, yep, yeah, I'm with Chris. I believe he 100% agrees with the principles um, that he's at a juncture in his life where it's like, um, I don't know if, if through this, I'm going to find meaning or through this, I'm going to get out of my anguish and though this man might be broken, I might even be stronger than this man. Um, yeah, that's I will what follow, I believe. You know, you know, I believe I, that. Yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's what it is. So it's like even, but he, there's something he can he can glean from uh, from Lancaster, and he's so he's he's in, he's all in, and let's see where it goes. And to, because to endure when they come back from obviously they come back from jail. And then he is put through, he, Freddie, is put through the paces. Um, it's, it's grueling to watch. And, but, you know, we see what comes out on the other side is finally he said, that's enough. He's arrived. Yeah, it seems more to me that Freddie was kind of playing him the whole time. Like he, he never really learned anything and that he, but he sort of had a sense of what he knew he had to do or say to, to move on or something like that. Um, let's get to the part of the, the sort of the beginning of the unraveling of uh, Lancaster Dodd. So, so he writes the second book, and Laura Dern's character kind of comes up to him and says, um, you know, I saw on uh, page 13 or whatever page it was uh, that there's a change. You've changed the processing platform question from can you recall to can you imagine, which sort of throws everything on its head of what he's been teaching up to that point. And so you sort of get the idea of like when belief systems are no longer 
the governing framework, but it's just the software is just to be renewed and replaced. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about, about, about that. Is that, is that sort of when we kind of all agree and realize that Lancaster is just a, sort of a fraud? Yeah, it seems to be part two. We've, you know, uh, as Chris stated earlier, we uh, get off the ship. Um, and so the first iteration, the first time I meet my sponsor, the person who has given me a, given me a ship, uh, allowed me to go and do what I need to do on the high seas to sort of formulate a plan. And now I'm going to come back and put it into practice. You, when you get these donors and you get this big money behind you, you have to honor it. And of course, when the skeptic uh, is inserted into that scene and Freddie doesn't handle it very well, we see broken Freddie. Fast forward to Lord Dern. Once again, we now have. <laughs> so it's funny when Amy Adams says, "Now we're going, we're going to launch it in Phoenix, Arizona." You're like, oh great, and it's sort of this room. <laughs> you know, it's not maybe what you'd envision today, where you'd be playing to an audience of a thousand people. There's, they're having a hard scrabble. Uh, time getting this religion cause uh, into the hands of the public. So we get Laura Dern, who believes in it fervently, um, has adopted it as a way of life, and clearly uh, is happy to be the exponent and provide money, we, we presume. And then all of a sudden she's like, hmm. and she knows it that well, and now we're, we, have a, we have a language problem. And that is, you know, now is, you were saying, can you recall, now you're saying, can you imagine? Um, which doesn't seem as specific, and now you're. This is uh, Freddie is melting before our eyes, um, and again, so I don't want to get killed either. But you know, <laughs> that's, you know well, it's one. It's sort of one there. of the dy dynamics of of modern politics too, where belonging to a team and defending it is a lot more important than what the team actually stands for. I see a lot of that in this. And, um, you know, um, Nietzsche claimed, well, of course, Nietzsche's famous for the philosopher who claimed that, uh, you know, God was dead or that the death of God was, was coming. And so he, his whole thing was that people had to create their own value systems. And that's what he called becoming the Superman. And so people, he thought if, if God's dead, if people don't have that framework of religion anymore, then the only way we're going to be able to survive is if we become supermen where we are able to create our own value systems. And then Nietzsche's sister, who was fucked up, she, she, sort of, <laughs> was that her name? No. <laughs> she sort of doctored his work so that it was more easily uh, able to be appropriated by the future Nazis and the Nazis came and Hitler came and they sort of take, took that Superman idea and totally took it out of context and ran with it. And that's sort of what the Nazis were, were doing in Germany was trying to create the Superman. And then the danger, if you're going to, you know, give yourself, make yourself the giver of values is what stops you from inflating yourself into something like a demigod and pronouncing what those values should be, which is ultimately what I see as what's happening with Lancaster Dodd is he's, he's suddenly the guy who determines what our values should be. And so you're replacing tradition with yourself 
because there's nothing there's nothing to keep you humble and there's nothing keeping uh lancaster humble which is i think the undoing of him, of him and i would guess that it was also the undoing of l ron hubbard well, and then when those things spiral out of control you get to hitler which is what hitler was um so aaron take it over a little bit i know you got notes over there yeah, I'm just taking notes on uh, this. This whole movie is very uh, fascinating to me because um, I'm not very <clears throat> clued into much of Scientology. So it's just interesting. I'm actually taking notes on that. And then I'm like Googling things too over here. And I'm looking at like different things like uh, unnamed Scientologists applied lots of pressure to stop the master from being made. And they tried to change it once it uh, filming began. So there definitely was pressure from that side of things to mm. stray, you know, they didn't want this being kind of like paralleled with that. Um, but uh, Paul, Paul Anderson said that the master is partly based on uh, Ron Hubbard's, you know, philosophies. So it's just a very, it's just very interesting. Um, I don't have necessarily somewhere to take it, but. Well, it is. It, that, I think that's kind of the idea, though, and why I don't think it painted Scientology in a bad light, like we talked about earlier. Is like maybe Scientology is good. Maybe it's just that you can't run a cult. Yeah, maybe cults, I mean, maybe cults are bad. There was an idea from it that I actually really liked, which was like, okay, so you know, what if past lives are real? Right? We don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. But when you are going down a river and you turn the bend, can you see around that bend? No, you mm -hmm. can't see around it anymore. Does it mean it exists? Well, it does exist. Well, you can't see it. It's in your mind, right? So it's like there's this philosophy that if with enough uh, introspective, you know, with enough search in yourself, maybe you can find past memories of another life. Although they're not on the same river you're on right now, maybe it, you maybe you turn that bend. But they still exist. So I, Which I don't Lancaster, know. Lancaster claims to do that and figure out how he knows Freddie, which was from a past life where they were working on hot air balloons, was it? Yeah, I forget what that was. <laughs> I remember him mentioning that if you leave this door, like our next life, we will be sworn enemies and I will show you no mercy. The, they were... Uh squad mates in World War One. Uh, they're in an observatory balloon. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, he's like, we set off like 80 balloons and only two, only two went missing. Went missing. Um, and so we have that Casper scene where Freddie somehow gets a phone call from Philip Seymour Hoffman asking, pleading for him to come back and to bring some cools with him. Mm -hmm. um, like cool cigarettes? Mm -hmm. Did anyone pick up on that was actually a dream and that he never was contacted by uh, Lancaster Dodd because it goes right from the phone call to Freddie being asleep again and waking up. And then when he actually does get to England and walks in, um, Amy Adams asks, why did you come back? And he says, I had a dream. And so Lancaster never called him back. He went on his own accord, which kind of explains why the tone of the room when he gets there isn't exactly as welcoming as you would expect it to be if they asked him to come back. And then I, that poses the question, I see you kind of disagreeing, Chris, and you can yeah. get into it in a second. That poses the question that when Freddie takes off on the motorcycle and doesn't come back, 
is the idea that Lancaster wants him to go out and be free and live his life. And then because that's a sign that he's ready or, or does Lancaster really want him to stick around because it's like his little buddy that he gets to, uh, you know, drink with, because it seems like when he goes back, it's, there's almost like a disappointment. Like, Hey, like if you're coming back here, you need to do the work. Like, so, so how'd you guys interpret that? Well, that mountain looked like a, or that, that scene looks like a goal. Like, I want you to focus on something and I want you to drive towards it, you know, as fast as you can. Like, set your sights and go for it. And I think Freddie took it literal and was like, this is my chance to go on the other side of the glass and make something happen, you know. And right. I almost expected Philip Seymour Hoffman to celebrate it in that moment. Yeah, like, like go. He didn't. go. But he didn't. He was pissed. He was like, fuck. Yeah, well, maybe he's, you know, maybe that's, maybe he wanted it to be more of like a metaphor for Freddie and, and it ended up being realistic. And then he lost his friend and he's like, wait a minute, come back. Like, what did I just do? I gave you the freedom to leave. And so, so Chris, what was your interpretation of so when he returns to England? When he returns to England, I think that is, that is Philip Seymour Hoffman's last hope to try and get him back. I think that he did actually call him. I think that the the cause has fully gotten away from him and he has to be this person. He has to be master. He has to be that man because it's it's too much. And you see it in Amy Adams's body language. She is fully in control of the situation and she knows yeah. that uh Dobbs has made this phone call and invited him back, invited the demon back into their lives when he's like, "We've beaten this. Why are you why are you doing this?" And it's exemplified by the song. I wish I could take you on a slow boat to China. All, all alone. By alone. Because by he myself. wants to get away. He wants to be with Freddie and be that person he wants to be. But he's so far gone into this, this idea of what, what the cause is and what that is that he can't. He's trapped by his own teachings. Yes. And really all he wants to do is smoke some cools and drink some potions. Yeah. And if you watch his body language, this is beautifully set up by the cinematographer or Paul Thomas Anderson, we, we don't really know. But even though Dobbs is in the position of power at the center of the room and the, the whatever, when Freddie walks in, he looks at Amy Adams as if to say, is this okay? Yeah. But okay, so do, you, do we, I mean, that makes sense, but this is where I'm confused with, with the dream thing. We do. We, are we really supposed to believe that somehow Lancaster Dodd can find Freddie in a random theater somewhere in the world yes. and call him? Yeah. Uh -huh. And then, and then, if so, why does Amy Adams ask him why, how, like why he came back? And his answer is, "I had a dream." Because he's trying to cover for Dobbs, because Dobbs used the influ the influence of the church to make that phone call and didn't tell Amy Adams about it, which is why she leaves the room. Because that's what a parent does when you when you've done something wrong. They say, "I know what you did is wrong," and then if rather than beating you, the, they they make you wait and they make you stew in it. Exactly. So Dobbs. Yeah. I mean, so so Freddie is a sh a shadow. He's yes. Uh, he's he's um, a guinea pig. He's, he's a demon. He's an, a demon. He's an excuse. He's he's all these things that Lancaster is trying to get out of people and yet he wants for himself yeah 
I feel like you could watch this movie 20 times and and yeah. and find new things every time. 9.7 baby. Yeah, I got to watch it again cuz this is my first viewing. So just hearing you guys discuss it, it's like making me want to watch it right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and be like, "Wow, this is cuz I knew it was great. It's just the layers are a lot deeper than I could even interpret on a first viewing." Not to, you know, kick a dead horse, but we also skipped Doris. And what that meant, right? His entire, you know, raison d'être, as as the French would mm. say, his reason for being, was a sixteen-year-old girl. Yeah, that was a little weird. That was so gross. Yeah, a little splash of and, pedophilia. And, and did we notice that almost every woman in the film was kind of like a Doris? Kind like of. They all kind of had red yeah. hair, mm -hmm. especially in the scene where he unrobes everyone in his mind roving a roving it's like yeah. they're all kind of like naked redheads almost yeah. mm -hmm. or the one he uh passes a note to he's like hey you want to fuck <laughs> was yeah. you want to fuck smiley face yeah smiley face <laughs> he smiles Smile. and then and then he just stays on joaquin and he just keeps like, looking at her and then he just does this kind of like well do you kind of face like, yeah, like, eh? <laughs> like wait, we're supposed to be listening the audiobook the audiobook exactly <laughs> um yeah that is interesting that his whole like there's no real there's no real like uh crux for his existence it's just sort of a she woman was who, yeah yeah which makes me again believe that he's not even real he's just this like shadow figure who just like lives off of impulse and lust well and let's it, talk about the ending too yeah like he, he finds a random woman at a bar and he sleeps with her and he starts doing the exercises mm -hmm. on this woman <laughs> and so he's, he's getting inside on. her <laughs> yeah what is, getting, what is that what is that getting about? off on being the master yeah. he's getting off yeah. on, it, on it on on it which is what lancaster was doing the whole time which mm -hmm. again it leads me to believe that joaquin is supposed to be this walking talking metaphor for philip seymour hoffman's shadow because he's out there doing the impulsive things and at the end the, he gets one more chance to be on that slow boat to china and 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 he still refuses. He's he wants to be a mindless monkey on the road, going from impulse to impulse, changing partners over and over and over again. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the very last shot is him with the mermaid on the on the sand again, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he lays. Yeah, this was so great in her bosom. <laughs> right. Yeah, and when he's not uh, spilling his seed in the ocean, you know, just maybe he's. Uh, looks at women a little differently now yeah what is that maybe it's just a motherly mm -hmm. figure like taking him in i thought that was disassociation because no matter what woman he's with it's the idea of a woman is always going to feel better for him so so maybe the idea is was he really chasing something as simple as sex the whole time or was he really chasing a mother figure love uh family because yeah. because we do have some mystery around his mother because during the pro initial processing, Philip Seymour Hoffman almost insinuates that the person who he had sexual relationships with wasn't maybe his aunt but his mother. There's something weird there where, like, yeah. where Joaquin's like, Auntie, like, was he your aunt? And he's like, Yes. And he's like, What about your mother? Like, where was she? And she's, she's institutionalized. She's, yeah, she's, yeah, she's in the loony bin. So there's something. There's, there's the death of the father, there's the lack of the mother, 
So maybe he's really just chasing a family, which again makes sense because what's Scientology? It's a tribe. It's a family. Yeah, and Lancaster became yeah that father figure. And that love, like I said in the beginning, showed him a love he didn't know, you know, like a soft, gentle, I understand you. Let's talk about your problems. Like, who are you? What have you done? You can be honest with me. And that's like a huge freedom for somebody that just runs from their problems for their whole life, you know. Ultimately, Paul, ultimately, with all this talk we've just had, is what Lancaster Dodd doing was it a inherently good service yes yes I, these that's why i they're the heroic element of this uh again that's what i always took from this was just the fact that one person decided because it was look we just came off of a movie where someone of the cloth we presume is going to carry a message it's always it has always been fascinating to me in the emergence of very broadly speaking self-help a human being begins to advance a way of thinking a way of living and they're simply a human being you can't point maybe they borrow something from the bible maybe they borrow something you reference nietzsche maybe they borrow some philosophy of emerson's whatever it may be but they put it all together and then they output something that becomes a name and people are fascinated with it. I am deeply fascinated with cults. I am deeply fascinated with these human powers that exert their will over others. I am deeply fascinated by reasonably intelligent men and women who think critically, who are in very high stations in life, who for some reason put the teaching uh, principles of one person above all else and follow it. To me, it's fascinating. And again, it's just the person, I mean, I guess you use the word heroic, but it's, it's the person who, for me, the heroism is I am going to suffer slings and arrows and I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to advance something that will draw criticism, but this is my journey and I'm, I'm going to do it. And for me, I just find that fascinating. Again, it usually comes under fire critically. Uh, it's not in the mainstream, it's out of the ordinary, but um, anytime these individuals, fictitious or not, bring this stuff to life, exert their will over others, I'm just incredibly fascinated with it. And, and this film didn't, uh, I'm losing light over here as we can see I'm getting darker, <laughs> but um, this film in particular didn't explore the parts of Scientology that are maybe a little more cringy, a little more scary and a little more harrowing the stuff that Leah Remini and others have uh, come out about about how you can't really leave once you're in it and, and that's the real cultish the cultish aspects of Scientology um, from what I can understand where they're willing to do pretty terrible things to you if you try to leave this film didn't really explore that maybe if there was a master two uh, they would explore that mm -hmm. um, with all of everything we just said Chris closing remarks on this film blessed be the man who sits calling it back to dcs2 man wow wait blessed from songs from the second floor man it is oh, okay. it is the repetition it is the religious religiosity of the language it is the simplicity of the message 
that drives this person to be who they are, a person who is broken, a person who needs a master. And that word and every facet of what it means comes to play in this movie. And that is why it gets a 9.7 for me. Well said. Aaron, do you have any closing remarks? Yes. A um, little callback from uh, DCS8. DCS. Uh, <laughs> all is grace. All is grace. And, uh, you know, what this film does is it shows, you know, a sort of no man left behind. You know, uh, I think our society likes to push off these type of people that Joaquin Phoenix is, you know, it's like PTSD, troubled, you know, they may be making a ruckus in society, but we want to like skirt them away, push them on the streets, whatever, you know, but this yeah. film is like, what happens when you say no? Like, let's try to rehabilitate somebody like this. Let's take them in and show them how to move past these demons, how to become a functioning part of society, how to build healthy relationships and realize your demons and, you know, where all these are stemming from, like separate that, get off of autopilot, you know, like, I think that's so important. And I really look forward to seeing this movie again and uh, going into these deep reflections on uh, what this film's all about. That is such an important thing. I'm so glad you said that. And we kind of missed that part of it. But that goes back to why I think Paul and I agree with Paul where it's inherently a good thing that Lancaster is doing because like you said, like Amy Adams and the others wanted to do it, they wanted to throw him out. He's a drunk. He's dangerous to the group. He said, no, if we do that, we're missing the whole point. We're yeah. not being what Christ would have said, Christian. We're not doing the thing we're propagating. We are not helping people. And 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 that's why and, – and what's so beautiful beautiful about Paul Thomas Anderson as a director is he doesn't – he makes things nuanced, like reality, like somebody's doing a good thing, but that person might not be a good person. Lancaster Dodd is a flawed individual who's getting off on being the leader of this cult, but there's obviously a, a part of him who believes in this thing that he's teaching because he maybe selfishly wants to use him as a guinea pig so he can write the second book. But at the end of the day, he is taking this man in. He is making this entire group bear witness to the struggles of a man who had an upbringing that probably none of them can relate to. Someone who was dealt the shittiest cards you can be dealt. And now here he is. He's been dropped. He's literally been dropped on our front steps. And now we have an opportunity to put to the test our words put our money where our mouth is let's see if we can help this man and then again the nuances was he helped probably saved his life still a flawed individual still someone who's just jumping from woman to woman perhaps but maybe there's a glimmer of hope that was left within freddie quill yeah a life saved right a life saved this is one of the best movies i've ever seen if not the best movie i highly recommend it to anyone out there to see the master I know, as someone who's an aspiring filmmaker, that I will never make a movie as good as this. So, Paul Thomas Anderson, you are an absolute genius. If you haven't seen his other films, Aaron, I recommend checking out Magnolia, Phantom Thread. Hopefully, we can get some of those on here eventually.